Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Saget? Yes, sir! I know who I am! Did IQs just drop shot? I could have been. I have planned. I like this shit. Dance off, bro. It is your Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Let the games begin. Hello and welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast with Jason and Lee. I'm Jason. I'm Lee. Da 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 no, so, if anybody listened to the, 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 the last episode and had to endure Jason going on like a twenty-minute rant about the, the wonders of advertising in Star Wars, no, su- <laughs> no surprise he's excited about Rogue One. <laughs> oh, but it's Star Wars. It's not the same, Lee. It's not the same. <laughs> Oh, oh boy. boy, yes indeed. <laughs> All right, so before we get to the cherry on the Sunday, what are the trailers you saw this week, this week, this week, Lee, sir, person? <laughs> <laughs> He's so excited. He's falling over himself. Exactly. All right, so. I seen, I seen, um, other, other than Rogue One, I've seen, uh, two trailers this week, Jason. One you've seen, one you haven't. And, and we'll leave Rogue One for last. So first I wanted to talk about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah, it's, it's a Harry Potter. Uh, film following on or prequeling the main series of Harry Potter films and starring what's his face <laughs> from Les Eddie Redmayne come on man yeah. <laughs> Stephen Hawking <laughs> and, yeah exactly from the theory of everything Eddie Redmayne yeah well anyway wait. let's not get into that movie I really found that one boring oh, so boring. there you go that's my that's my film criticism of the theory of everything it was boring there we go the theory of everything where nothing happens <laughs> the theory of nothing there's a sound bite there's a BuzzFeed article <laughs> alright so how did you find the trailer, man? It was grand. Yeah, I'm very excited. It's got plenty of magic. It's got plenty of monsters. It looks to have quite a bit more action than some of the Harry Potter uh, films up to the date. I like the setting. Uh, you know, it's I, I'm interested to see what they do with um, New York speakeasy kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, totally down for it. I, I think, you know, Harry Potter films are never going to be the critical darlings they've always wanted to be, uh, at least in the eyes of um, the director, um, David Yates. But but uh, they, they certainly still make great box office adventures. And uh, this looks to be no different. And um, I, this trailer, from this point, I don't want to see another trailer because I'm now barely sold. I thought it was it looked great. It looked choppy and fun. And I am on board. What did you think, Jason? I thought it was fun, too. I think they gave a little bit too much away. Uh, but yeah, I'm on board as well. I mean, Redmayne looks like he fits the part. I, I don't remember exactly what character he's playing. I know it's not Harry Potter. Like Newt, you said before, uh, it's a... Newt. Samander is who he's playing, who I know from a old Game Boy Harry Potter game. He was a collectible card in it, and that's about all I know. Okay, cool. Like, I haven't read those books. I mean, I'm, uh, I I would have loved to read them, but I, when they came out, it wasn't necessarily my age group. I was busy doing other things. Yeah. Um, but I did enjoy most of the movies, not all of the movies. Some of them, especially David Yates' movies, I actually thought were the bad ones. 
But um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with this because he seems to have been given a little bit more freedom. Yeah, yeah it definitely looks great. Uh, Eddie Redmayne, like I said, it looks like he fits the part. I'm really, really eager to see this. And I'm going to go again and slap that one into the pact where I'm, I don't need to see any more. I'm sold. It's going to be fun. They're probably going to have it in IMAX as well, and I'm looking forward yeah, to it there. Yeah, definitely. I will say for David Yates's previous Harry Potter films that they are based on the more boring stories. <laughs> so... I'll give him a buy ball for those. He did the best he could with the somewhat melodramatic material he was being given. Uh, yeah, I guess. But this one looks like a more straightforward narrative. Looks like it's not bogged down and trying to juggle all the balls at one time. So I'm definitely looking forward to see what he does with this whole new spin-off. Oh, yeah, but my... my... What I was saying essentially was more a question of, uh, along the lines of the special effects, uh, the fact that it looked a little bit bland in certain uh, circumstances, mm. you know. But it's not his fault. I mean, he was pushed in, he was pushed into a machine and he had to maintain a, a certain aesthetic that had been prefabricated with the other movies. Yeah. And so, I mean, he was he was just a figurehead for a while. I mean, a director in this case, yes, he's directing, but he's the one mostly with the the actors. The machine's already rolling in the background, so yeah. he did the best he could with what he had but now because he was overseeing like probably since the first day since the inception of the project i mean he probably had a little bit more say in it a little bit more leeway and i'm looking forward to seeing what yates can actually do as a director as opposed to what he can do when he actually steps into a role that's already been established by somebody else yeah yeah definitely all right moving on what's the next one uh storks now this one comes out mm, this year sometime almost maybe a month or two from now i think i, I hadn't heard of it i actually saw the uh, trailer just before I seen Pete's Dragon this week, uh, which I'll talk about later. Um, it's a it's a Warner Brothers Animation Studios production, so it is um, the same people who brought us Claudio Chance and Meatballs and the Lego Movie, uh, except they don't have um, you know the Miller Lord Miller whatever those directors are called <laughs> the ones with the, with the inspiration and the fun, <laughs> but it seems to be carrying on a lot of that um, that energy and vibe about it. It's it, the concept's simple. It's about the storks that deliver babies have stopped delivering babies, and uh, but there's one baby left over, and one of the storks who's Judy inherit the company uh, risks his job to deliver the baby with a orphan uh, and hijinks along the way. It, it looks fun. I, and the trailer genuinely made me laugh. Key and Peel play wolves in it. They made me laugh. There's uh, the girl, the, the orphan girl. I don't know who plays her, but she was fucking hilarious. And I, I, just, I am really excited to see more about this film. I will definitely review it when it comes out. But it's the first I had seen it. Maybe people knew about this for months or years. Who knows? But uh, I think any time is a good time to draw attention to a project. So this, let, let this be the time. <laughs> Excellent. Cool. I haven't seen anything about Stork so far. I'm looking forward to possibly getting badgered by my children to go see it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward. The premise that you just explained seemed rather fun. So, yeah, I, I'll be in. I guess I should check it out. But I'll check the trailer after we've finished our recording today. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's a good way to cheat at it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, what else? So, did you see... I didn't see any other trailer uh, this week. Oh, and for a reason, because I didn't see Arrival. <laughs> exactly. Good point. I did not see Arrival as well. I was, uh, as we said in the last episode, we'd seen enough with the teaser trailer to begin with. And I'm looking forward to the movie anyhow. And I want to mention just quickly that whoever's designing thumbnails for trailers, please don't include images that could be revealing because mm. I, I was going through Twitter again uh, this week. And when the trailer dropped, I was like, okay, 
they're officially showing something that I'm not supposed to see and that I don't want to see. So anybody who wants to avoid any information, I guess, just try to avoid the trailer. If you want to see it, watch it. I mean, it's, it's probably going to be fantastic. I don't, I haven't read anything. I want to stay as innocent as I can walking into the movie theater. Yeah. So that's it. The teaser had done enough for me. So I, as well as Lee, we've avoided the arrival. We've, we've made the pact. We made the pact. We've avoided the, the arrival trailer. I would recommend people, if you haven't seen anything of the, of the film, do watch the teaser trailer. See how you feel about it. And uh, if you feel that you're not sold, then maybe consider watching the trailer because obviously it doesn't seem like up your alley. But if you are sold, do, do as we do. Cut your ties. See the film when you see it. Absolutely. Good point. As we discussed last week in our episode with Suicide Squad, too much overhype, going in blind might actually be a good thing once in a while. Definitely, definitely. Good. Which brings us to Rogue One. Rogue One. Oh, <laughs> yes, sir. So I had a chance to watch the Rogue One trailer. I, wow. I, I'm, I'm really excited now. I don't want to be too excited because, you know, it could suck. But from what I've seen so far with the images, just the cinematography that was on display in the trailer, man, did that ever look good. Uh, absolutely. Uh, just, I, again, because it's not something we've seen from the Star Wars universe, we're kind of going in blind no matter what we see. Uh, this is definitely, as far as films go, I'm sure people who read the books or get into the, to the head canon, they've, they've seen dark shit. But for us who are more cinema, universe only um this looks great uh looks like the direction that i think when people started saying there's going to be a extended star wars universe branching off into different stories this looks exactly like a lot of us imagined not just grim dark for the sake of it but serious world building stories with a different focus you know this is not a lightsaber story this is not a mystical force story this is a an espionage story by the looks of it uh met with a like a rebelling war story and ah, it looks it just looks like it's going to be a, a great time even if it doesn't hold up in the end, I, I'm still probably going to really enjoy it. That's just how Star Wars works. <laughs> oh yeah, but I, there there are so many there are so many good things in the trailer as well. I mean, the standout for me, I wasn't sold on the whole Donnie Yen character to begin with, you know, Chirut Imwe, and in the Rogue One trailer, just as he walks towards the stormtroopers and he says, "I fear nothing. The Force is." what it wills things to be. I don't remember yeah. exactly what the quote is. Man, what a badass line that they did give to <laughs> Donnie Yen. I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow. I don't know if that guy's going to be a Force user per se. He definitely looks like he believes in it religiously. And the other one that I really enjoyed, the, one of the standouts was uh, the robot, uh, K2SO. Right. I thought that was great. I mean, he seems like a more violent C-3PO. <laughs> but, you know, this I'm is so the captain says, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, he's the captain Captain says you're a friend, so I won't kill you. You're like, okay. Awesome. You know? And then yeah, Jin, Jin just answers, oh, thanks, you know. So <laughs> that looked great. My favorite shot by far in the in the trailer was definitely the Death Star orbiting the planet, the red planet that it's going for. I don't know what planet that is. We're going to find out soon. Yeah. I should have done my homework and looked it up before. But we very seldom see that the laser kind of on the bottom, right? We usually see it on top. And That's to right. actually see it kind of rotating, like that space shot is is something we've never seen before in 
boy, did it get me excited. Absolutely. And I think that's what exactly what we were kind of looking to see when it came to the uh, Star Wars imagery, this kind of rebooted universe, is that we wanted to see imagery that we knew flipped on its head. And that's what we actually literally got with this Death Star motif. You know, it is genuinely upside down. But uh, and you raised a good point with the uh, the Force user, you know, as a belief system. That's the kind of stuff we really wanted to explore with, you know, stuff that we kind of knew existed. But we want to see some depth and interest uh, surrounding it. And the trailer gives us these glimpses. And now we need to see absolutely nothing else it is time to watch the film i agree with everything you just said i don't necessarily need to see any more of rogue one uh, in terms of trailers i'm sold i want to walk into the movie theater if they put out another trailer i'm just going to try to avoid it as much as i can even though inside myself it'll be burning just to go see what else they're going to give me but (laughs) i am i am avoiding everything else from here on out can't wait for december to roll around i know that we're not supposed to have this much expectation but to me star wars it's my one exception where i'm allowed to get excited about it this one i don't have any desire i'm just looking forward to seeing what they come up with as a story and so far they've gotten me I really enjoyed it. I'm going to avoid the international trailer because I don't want anything else spoiled or I don't want any plot points. I don't want to know what the story is. I want to walk in the movie theater, see what it is. And I'm looking forward to it. Me too, man. It's going to be fun. So that wraps up our segment on trailers. We'll be back with What Did You Watch This Week? The world is coming undone. Imperial flags reign across the galaxy. Can you be trusted without your shackles? Let's just get this over with, shall we? We have a mission for you. A major weapons test is imminent. We need to know how to destroy it. If you're really doing this, I want to help. I've been recruiting for the rebellion for a long time. We destroyed our home. I fight the Empire now. I fear nothing. All is as the Force wills it. The captain says you are a friend. I will not kill you. Thanks. There isn't much time. Every day, they grow stronger. There is a 97.6% chance of failure. He means well. This is our chance. Are you with me? All the way. And I hope that you enjoyed what you just heard, because I did immensely. (laughs) Which brings us to our second part of the show. What did you watch this week? It's actually still part of the first part, but it doesn't really matter. I just decided to do it this way. All right, so let's get to it. I, uh, I watched a documentary on cars this week called Apex, uh, the story of the hypercar. It was really fun. So if you guys are into motor racing the way I am, I'm a huge Formula One fan. No. And so uh, whenever... Uh, what do you mean, no? Just speaking for our audience. No. 
our audience is 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 international, man. So there's yeah, someone bro. out there that's going to associate. He's like these movie guys. They like the car things too. I'm on board with these cats. And I don't like the fucking eagles, man. <laughs> fucking fascist. <laughs> Okay, so moving on. I watched Apex, the story of the hypercar. If you like cars, watch it. It's fun. Anyhow, so it's on Netflix. It just came out. Watch it. It's kind of fun. Is it a documentary? What the hell is it? Yeah, it's a documentary about race cars. Hypercars. Oh, cool. Is that yeah. pretty, <laughs> pretty straightforward? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you, do you know, what, you know what Apex replaced, though? Not a clue. It replaced Downton Abbey. I gave up on that fucking show. I'm annoyed oh. with it. The characters are stupid martyrs. And I don't understand what happened with the writing. And anyway, there's another plot point that was spoiled just recently for me. Well, it wasn't spoiled. You know what? I went looking for it because I wanted it to spoil Every intention I had of finishing that fucking show. Yay. So now I'm not watching any more of it. Great. So that's that's the end of my so. commitment to if that show had turned out to be good, me matching you and watching it. So this is great news for me because I didn't really want to at all. <laughs> watch the first two seasons. You're fine. And it's good stuff. But after that, you know, it just it, they, they seem to be grasping at straws for ideas. Apparently, they didn't yeah. think the show was going to go on so long. Soap opera territory. And so what they mm. essentially did was they kept writing. But I think... Be- they kept writing drunk because none of the ideas make any sense. They should keep that blurb when they release the box sets on, on Blu-ray or whatever. Exactly. You, you guys <laughs> can, the plots make exactly. any sense. <laughs> you can quote me on that. Story writers must be drunk because it no longer makes any sense. Jason Michaels, 2016. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right, cool. What did you watch this week? I'll get to my last one at the end. All right, cool. Um, I watched uh, two films. Uh, in cinema, even. I watched, uh, Disney's, uh, both Disney, uh, I watched Disney's Finding Dory and Disney's Pete's Dragon. Uh, so I'll go, I'll go for Finding Dory first since it's a little older than Pete's Dragon. It was the sequel to Finding Nemo, uh, the Pixar movie that most people cherish to some extent. And it felt exactly like a sequel to Finding Nemo in that it never needed to happen. And, uh, it didn't really, we didn't really gain anything from watching it. It's got some cute moments. General point is Dory is not a particularly convincing lead character and the writing around her doesn't do any, any favors, uh, to sort of keep us invested in why she's on this journey at all. And it's, it's just kind of a waste of time, but kids will like it because it's pretty and it's still got fun characters and moments. I mean, it's not offensive. It's just a Finding Nemo 2. I have a story on that. I haven't seen it yet, but my daughter has. And my daughter, who's 11 years old, was funny because she has a very critical mind when it comes to movies now. Yeah. Uh, And it was really fun to get her impression. She said, you know what, Dad? It's not a bad movie, but it. I don't understand why they named it Finding Dory. They're not Finding Dory at all. Dory's Finding Somebody Else. The, t- this, the title doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Well, very insightful. It's it's all true. It is it it is a um a false uh, title, and on that grounds alone, kids will hate it. <laughs> hey Mia, come here a second. All right, tell tell them what you told me. In the movie, uh, the the it doesn't make sense because they're not finding Dory. They're basically finding the parents of Dory. Dory's parents, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's right. And what did you like? It did you like the movie? Yeah, it was good, but in some cases, the only part I didn't like is that the title didn't fit. The title didn't fit. There we go. And do you think that's a bit misleading? Yeah. This is very disappointing. Were you disappointed? No. Yes, I was. You were? (laughs) (laughs) You hear that, Disney? What's her score out of 10? Um, I'd say, uh, 
seven out of ten. Seven out of ten? Yeah. Sounds like a pretty good grade. Yeah, it's got yeah, its flaws. Yeah, scale is three point five on five, which makes it entertaining. Yeah. So, would you consider it entertaining? Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Mia. You're welcome. I'll see you next time. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. <laughs> bye, bye, baby. <laughs> awesome. So now you've got it from the mouth of an eleven-year-old. Finding Dory is entertaining. Yeah. Why do we even do? Why do we even do this? Why? Uh, why pretend to be the critics when the children are already smarter and more accurate at portraying the opinion of the movie than we are? So. Great. Yeah. Finding Dory, 7 out of 10. You you heard it here. There you go. <laughs> cool. Next up, what was the next movie? Pete's Dragon. Uh, yeah, I've seen uh, the remake, the 2016 remake of Pete's Dragon, which, again, don't want to spend too much time talking about, but it is a kind of folksy, grounded sort of retelling of Pete's Dragon, the 70s film. Uh, it is a good setting. Uh, there's some nice special effects. There's some good moments, again, just like Finding Dory, but also a lot of it doesn't add up. I never really felt a connection for the characters. Uh, that is supposed to be the emotional payoff of the film is how much Elliot the dragon loves Pete, the guy who loves the kid who loves the dragon. And there's, we don't really, other than sort of unspoken glances and looks, we're never really given a real insight into their, into their relationship. And it all kind of falls apart rather quickly, uh, as the film goes on. And, uh, it, it kind of undermines a lot of the story it was trying to tell. Plus, there's a car chase. Not necessary. And Carl Urban is a cartoon villain, like Dick Dastardly, and kidnaps uh, Pete at one point, or sorry, Elliot at one point, to try to sell him King Kong style as the seventh wonder of the world, or the eighth wonder of the world. Oh, man. Uh, it's completely at odds with the with the initial premise, and it's pretty disappointing. But, again, kids will like it. Well, I mean, if your daughter comes in again and says that she's seen it, and <laughs> she thought it was a misleading title, it wasn't Pete's Dragon... We know exactly where to stand on this. It's a seven out of ten. <laughs> I mean, they 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 enjoyed the initial the the original version, the nineteen seventy seven version of the movie. So uh, I think that when they saw the trailer for this one, they immediately got excited because this one like it makes them believe that the dragon is real. So it looked kind of interesting. I know yeah. they're eager to see it. I haven't taken them to see it yet, and I don't even know if if they're playing it in English here in Quebec City, which is kind of sad. Mm. But uh, definitely, I would love to take them to see it. Uh, it looked good. Uh, I've heard good reviews and whatnot. I but I, I appreciate your take on it because our our tastes in movies are somewhat similar mm. and so i might actually come out of there having the same kind of reaction you had but yeah i'm still looking forward to seeing it but now i'm going in reserved rather than excited yeah yeah that's that's a better way to do because if you go in with that attitude i i was kind of moderately excited i suppose low expectations but moderately excited and i felt that i was ultimately a little disappointed but maybe with a, a, a more tempered view of it going into it you might walk away pleasantly surprised instead and then you know i'd be interested to see your take on it when you do get to see it oh definitely all right so i'll give it a watch but i i'm not sure there might be something else that i want to take them to see uh in, in the coming weeks but i'll definitely keep it in mind cool cool and what uh you've seen another film the last oh the last thing i watched yeah i saw a sausage party oh yeah yeah i'm not going to review it much here because i was another podcast uh over the course of the weekend that came out uh two weeks ago that's right on the maddie so, negs so <laughs> negs best film podcast where I reviewed the film with him, and uh, I actually had a great time. 
uh, watching it. Yeah. I'll quote what I said on the, on his podcast and what I had put on Facebook initially when I came home from the movie. It's the smartest dumb movie that I've seen in a while. Great. And um, I'll leave it at that. I think if you guys walk in with uh, very low expectations, you might actually come out of it surprised at how clever it is, how smart it wants to be. By even including all the dumb, profane crap that these guys like Seth Rogen and, and Evan Goldberg are ready to dish out on pretty much every one of their movies. This one actually has a backbone. It has yeah. a message and it's kind of a fun one if you're willing to pay attention. Great, great. That that's I mean, I I'm usually on board with Seth Rogen stuff. Uh, I've I've seen a lot of his films and I've enjoyed quite a number of them. So, uh, absolutely pretty excited to see it this week, especially after your your glowing favorable reviews of its smart dumbness. I'm way down for a smart dumb film. Oh, good. That's it. So, <laughs> uh, I've heard it compared favorably to um, Team America World Police. Uh, what do you think about that? I think that Sausage Party is a little bit more accessible than Team America World Police was. I've never been a fan of Trey Parker and Matt Stone's work. First of all, I mean, in this one, it seemed a little bit heavy handed in Team America, whereas in Sausage Party it kind of presents the information in a fun way that isn't necessarily trying to force the message down your throat, but it's very well decorated in terms of how cultures are are uh, represented. Whereas Team America World Police kind of mocks a lot. I think Sausage Party more or less, more or less raises issues, shows you by using stereotypes just how those stereotypes work, and they kind of mock them. But at the same time, they mock him in a sweet way, in my opinion. I don't know if that's going to get me in trouble. <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's the way I feel about the movie. I had a fun time. It's, it's definitely got a message. It definitely doesn't want to be taken too seriously. But it does definitely want to uh, put that message forward in order to get people talking about it, which, I, which is why I think that it's, it's – um, I wouldn't call it necessary viewing. Yeah. But go in not just expecting to be force-fed – profanity you're going to get some interesting uh aspects of what culture is like now for different minorities and uh yeah i guess i'll leave it at that i don't want to start grasping at straws for how my interpretation goes about it yeah it sounds dangerously close to one of my favorite things um critical fictions you know stories that keep good uh good hearty messages to pass to people uh as groundwork to build upon a sort of uh easy to digest fun accessible story uh, so that sounds good. That sounds exactly like the kind of shit I would like to see, and I will definitely get to see that this weekend. So maybe on the next show, I can talk about a little bit of a sort of uh, wrap up uh, as to how we both felt. Oh, that would be great. I'd love to get uh, yeah, I'd love to get your uh, your uh, interpretation or how you felt about the movie because that's it. I mean, I don't I don't pretend you know I, I I could be wrong about this, but I mean, I saw what I saw, and like I said, I was I was amused, but at the same time, uh, they had they had my ear. I was listening. I was listening and I was watching and I was like, okay, there's definitely something going on here that these guys want to talk about. Great, great. That sounds great. Well, shall we move on to our feature? I think we should move on to our feature presentation, but only after these words. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. How long since your last confession, my son? 27 hours. It's really too often. You're not that bad. Here at Capitol Pictures, as you know, millions of people look to us for information and uplift and, yes, entertainment. And we're going to give it to them. And action. An army of technicians and actors and top-notch artistic people are working hard to bring to the screen our biggest release of the year. 
Hail Caesar is a prestige picture with one of the biggest stars in the world, Baird Whitlock. A truth we could see if we had, but... If we had... Ha faith! 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 Cut! Ah. Uh, Mr. Mannix. What's up? The director can't find Baird Whitlock. Somebody slipped it under my door. We have your movie star. Gather $100,000 and await instructions. Who are we? The future. Hello, Bert. Hello, Mr. Mannix. Lawrence, Hobie, thank you all for coming. The studio needs your help. Bad Whitlock has been kidnapped. This is bad. Bad for movie stores everywhere. She sings the perfect harmony. Let's spend 24 hours, but we're looking for him. We don't want it in the gossip columns. This is gonna cost the studio a lot of money. And that's where you come in. I need some cash. You must have very strong forearms. Is it hard squeezing it like that? It's part of the job, miss. I'd like to know what the hell is going on here. 20 million readers want the truth, Eddie. Truth, yes. Mm. Eddie. So won't you tell me no truth, I wanna hold in your life. Don't you tell me no truth, I wanna hold in your life. This is a drama, Mannix, a real drama. Mr. Mannix, I know it sounds screwy, but someone's calling from the future. Good Lord. Wondering what's going on? So we're back with our feature film, which is the Coen Brothers' 2016 movie, Hail Caesar, starring Scarlett Johansson, George Clooney, Alden Einreich, Josh Brolin, and Ralph Fiennes. Lee, the Coens are back with a fantastic movie. What did you think about it? <laughs> nice bias <laughs> they're back with a fantastic movie <laughs> oh yeah you give me a lot of wiggle room there man <laughs> exactly i just yeah. sprung the trap for yeah, you sir. immediately i have to stand on the wrong foot i uh okay i like the coen brothers i think they are are fine directors they have made some of the most classic of classic modern hollywood films and nobody's gonna say a bad word realistically about their talent <laughs> but i think hail caesar was yet another uh film that proved that the coen brothers hate us they hate us and they hate you especially you the audience member that are that is listening to this show they hate everything they hate hollywood they hate phonies they hate movies they hate people and they hate you. <laughs> and Hail Caesar, much like Big Lebowski, much like the Lady Killers, and in sort of little bits and pieces of uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou and their their sort of um, numbskull trilogy and No Country for Old Men, they examine a lot about what is pretty awful about humanity in a lighthearted, fun way, except for No Country. And um, it works well in the slower movies. Uh, the dramatic ones stand out well, like Fargo and No Country. Again, they, they, they are fun. I mean, fun, I mean incredibly dar, but fun. Looks at the human psyche and how horrible people are. But uh, when it comes to comedy, I just don't get it. Uh, they're so mean-spirited, and it doesn't make me laugh. It doesn't make me laugh at all. And I wish that Hail Caesar had just been a uh, a drama, because it, it is a drama. The story in it is real and relatable, well, not relatable, but definitely, you know, sympathizable. And uh, uh, their the, the bitterness... 
pervades all the humor. So you, when they're making a joke, suddenly it's just like it's they're kind of just taking a stab. Anyway, that's that's my grounding of my opinion for Hail Caesar. I thought that it was a very bitter, jaded movie, and ultimately that made me jaded towards it. But apparently, it's fantastic. <laughs> I do believe it's fantastic. Uh-huh. I thought this movie was incredibly funny because the Coen brothers have my kind of humor. It's the kind of comedies that I walk into expecting to laugh because they make me laugh about the most absurd things uh, imaginable. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is um, at one point Josh Brolin is sitting opposite uh, a guy from Lockheed where he's being offered a job. Yeah. You know? So his mm-hmm. character Mannix is being offered a job by a Lockheed. And one of the moments that happens is that at one point like there's an aquarium next to Josh Brolin on his left and there's a bubble that pops and Brolin kind of turns and gives this weird reaction as to what the hell is going on. But we're never privy to what Brolin sees, but he seems to be a little bit distracted by it. And at the same time, you get distracted by his distraction and you stop listening to Lockheed guy. Those are the kind of moments that make me crack up because I'm not sure that that was scripted, but the (laughs) Collins decided to keep it in the movie in order to, make that little scene a little bit weirder. Yeah. So every time I see that little sequence, I have to rewind it twice just because that little popping sound (laughs) is such a distraction, but it's perfectly placed. It's perfectly timed. It's comedy genius. And that's just one of the little tidbits that I loved about uh, Hail Caesar. I know that sounds like very specific, but Hail Caesar to me is the Coens firing on all cylinders. This is a return to form, in my opinion. Uh, I I was a little bit disappointed in what came after No Country for Old Men, ex- with the exception of Inside Lewin Davis. Uh, I thought that was a beautiful, beautiful film. And to follow it up with Hail Caesar is just showing me that the Coens are coming up with something big that's going to be around the corner. I loved Hail Caesar because it's them kind of doing what they do best where they subvert and they comment on a lot of things that are happening in Hollywood. Like you said, they hate us. They hate the viewer. They hate the system in which they're making movies. But at the same time, they're also celebrating it. And I thought that was wonderful. Yeah. And this isn't the first time that they choose to use a, a, a musical in order to kind of create an environment. This is kind of fun because usually with movies like Oh Brother Where Art Thou, you'd have a, a, a musical, but again, it was the Odyssey. You, It was kind of weird in a way. This time you had Hail Caesar that was attacking what they call the backstage musical. So what Hail Caesar is doing is that it's, it's creating an interpretation of the backstage musical and also musicals in general. And I really, really like the fact that musicals themselves are usually considered to be like pure entertainment, like wish-fulfilling diversion from life's problems. That's the way people usually see these things, and especially musicals of the 50s, okay? Obviously, with 1960 came The Sound of Music, and it kind of like, oh, we're going to start attacking these bigger themes. The Sound of Music is a powerful movie. I really, really like The Sound of Music. I watch it once a year. But at the same time, when the music kicks in, it kind of creates a levity where even if there is a Nazi occupation there, you kind of get taken out of the movie where you're you're kind of celebrating with them a little bit. So it kind of eases the blow. Mm-hmm. With Hail Caesar, the Coens, like I, you said it best, they're snide, they're sneering at whatever's going on. But that's the kind of comedy I like. I like like observational comedy. I like Jerry Seinfeld, but I also love George Carlin. I love Doug Stanhope. These guys that are going to attack established industries. These are angry people. And the Coens 
with Hail Caesar just show you how angry they are. No, I, I, I totally agree. Uh, um, it, it is true. I didn't want to lead you on the, on the assumption, though, that I never laughed or never found anything funny about Hail Caesar. <laughs> there are plenty of things, especially the weirder it gets, the funnier I find it. But it, to me, it was a lot of sight gags that sort of took me by surprise just how odd they were. And that made me laugh. But when I started to think about like what they were trying to represent or what they said or what I actually found funny beyond a sort of shallow, whoa, what was that level? I uh, immediately started realizing that I wasn't really laughing at all. I was just sort of surprised. It was more like a hiccup. It was more like a, a jump scare. I was kind of just playing along and uh, ignoring how all the bitterness that lay underneath. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, but I don't think it was bitter in the sense that they're trying to be mean. I really thought that they were trying to say... Look at how lucky we are. We get to put up with all of this shit, and yet we are here making these movies and having fun. Mm -hmm. I don't think that the Coens would rather be doing something else. I really think that with Hail Caesar, a lot of people are seeing Hail Caesar as as a a tribute to old Hollywood, and I don't think it is. I think it they're they're using old Hollywood as a metaphor for how um, the more things uh, change, the more. Th- things stay the same yeah and so because musicals of the day had this utopic quality the utopian musical always ends on a positive note people needed to have that like post-world war ii all the musicals that had come out for there was were these inspirational tales these things that like come come to the movie theater and we're going to wash all of your problems away even like richard dyer talks about it in, in his seminal essay entertainment and utopia and so the Coens with Hail Caesar are trying to go and say, but your problems are still there. And not only are your problems still there, the people making those movies problems are still there as well. And even though the Hollywood system tries to address those problems, they handle them clumsily. They try to bury stories. So they're kind of revealing a lot of what the machine is like working in the circumstances. And I thought it was fun because they talk about religion. You know, they address how religion is handled in Hollywood, the manipulation of how star images is in Hollywood with the story of Hobie Doyle. Mm. Uh, They also, the idea that, that females are impacted by males in a very harsh way. There's a lot of injustice. Just the opening sequence with uh, Mannix walking in and telling the girl, listen, your likeness is owned by Capitol Pictures. You're not allowed to be here. And he slaps her twice in the face. Not only that, like the idea that even Scarlett Johansson's, her character's pregnancy is something that's taboo. She needs to find a man and she can't be known. Mm -hmm. They don't know who the father is, but she does kind of, you know, and so this idea that she's a little bit, well, I won't say promiscuous, but she's slept around. That's not supposed to be known or anything like that because the audience are prudes, essentially. We're there to judge these people. I I think the most blatant one that they thought that I thought was genius was was the homosexuality to talk about this idea that Baird Whitlock, apparently uh, with Wings or Eagles, you know, had this (laughs) idea that he got the part because of sodomy. (laughs) That's right. You know, but at the same time... the one that was really, really fun was Channing Tatum's performance as this the Navy sailor where they're singing like, there'll be no dames, but then they break into song, okay? And you have this overarching theme of innocence throughout the movie that Hollywood tries to provide, you know, this world of make-believe instead of talking about it. And the, the, the scene in the middle of the picture is literally a tap dance scene, you know, that's... <laughs> 
that has this homoerotic feel to it. Yeah. So you have the Coens basically saying, look at how we're also tap dancing around this issue. We're not going to tackle it flat out. And so I thought that that was really, really interesting. And to be aware of all this, this idea of like the backstage musical, the musical aspects, I thought that the Coens were finally back in their sandbox playing with the tools that they, they, they usually play with best. And so Hail Caesar to me, when I watched the first time, I was, I was amazed at how Cohen's this one felt. That's, that's, that is true. It, it feels the most Cohen of a Cohen film I've seen in a long time. It reminded me of the Hudsucker proxy in a sort of unfavorable comparison in my head because I like the positivity of Hudsucker Proxy more than Hail Caesar. Even if I don't necessarily think it was a better fought out film, I think Hail Caesar I think we can all agree it's a pretty smart film. In fact, I I look at that and kind of on the same point of your sort of the themes you're reading into, uh, the cleverness of the Coens uh, underscores the comedy a little. Uh, my thinking on it is this. There's a lot of very smart things going on in Hail Caesar. Uh, lots of things to read into, lots of reasons to come back for second watches, third watches, so on and so forth. You can spend all day. You could teach a class on Hail Caesar alone, and there's a lot of movie-making magic in there. What do we walk away from with Hail Caesar that actually is of any substantial value than to reflect on the the kind of position of Hollywood as, of, as it was then, as it is today, how the Coens see it? It's true that, you know, we, we should be able to make films that speak to a certain nobody. You know, this is a Cohen passion project out and out, so it's about what they wanted to see for them. They wanted to make a message. But you're right in that the moral, the more things change, the more they stay the same. That's definitely a huge one, big prevalent uh, part of this movie. And to me, that message is such a crotchety old guy message. Such a depressing sort of, haha, I told you so, cynical look at how the world works. I don't think that's something that necessarily aids us in any sense, knowing that, yes, anybody can kind of figure it out, and yes, we can subtly weave it into whatever narrative you want. I don't think it's useful, and uh, I, I like my messages, if there, if there has to be a message, to be something useful to somebody, and I don't think that message is particularly useful to anybody. Because it's so cynical, and because it's so bitter as a message, and because it's so interweaved through the narrative, it kind of discolors the film for me. Uh, that's, that's not to say... I I don't like a lot of what happens and like as you were saying tap dancing scene the performances are incredible for a start but the the tap dancing scene in the middle that's clever that's funny the way you've just put it and it colors in a whole new light that i had never really considered you know they're tap dancing around the issue that's fucking hilarious uh, <laughs> and uh, uh you know there's a lot yeah exactly the re the reveals of tatum's character as you know he's this clean sparkly guy uh you know he's just as dirty as the rest of them if not more much more than a lot of them funny i agree clever in their sort of uh tackling of it definitely interesting as images you're not going to see these images in any other film so the film does deserve to be made i'm not going to make that argument i think this this has its place in the world but but on a, on a personal preference level, when it comes down to what did I gain from watching this film, all it, to me, sort of reminded me of was that the Coen brothers have a lot to say about the Coen brothers, <laughs> you know, and uh, that's that's great, and I appreciate that. Uh, that just doesn't stick with me four or five times in. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Um, yeah, I, I agree that 
the Coens are happy playing with the Coens, like dealing with issues that make them laugh. Yeah. And to me, the thing is, is that I, I've always loved their humor. I love the fact that they can tackle these issues in that way because that's the kind of stuff I laugh at. I have trouble getting into regular comedies because I just don't find it funny. The fact mm-hmm. that the, the Coens are able to dance around that and kind of subvert a bunch of things uh, while they're going at it, to me, I, I have that little tee-hee moment myself where I'm like, oh, this is a comedy that was made for me, you know? So I understand yeah. that it's not, maybe not for mass audiences, but I mean, none of the Coen Brothers movies well, you, work. You've you, you raised a good point already there. You're making a good counterpoint because that does tell me something about Coens. They aren't just making films for them. They're making films for you as well. And that's, you know, there you go. Audience achieved. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that a lot of it comes from the fact that I mean, a lot of their movies end in a way that you're not necessarily going to have some satisfaction. I mean, look at the end of No Country for Old Men. Tommy Lee Jones's speech is powerful. It's wonderful. His performance is great. And then he leaves you on that note where you think that it's going to end with something specific. But no, he just says, and then I woke up. And then there's a reaction shot of his wife. Yeah. Then they cut back to the reverse shot of him and then the movie goes black. I remember sitting on my couch at home uh, watching that the second time, even when I saw it in the movie theater the first time. I said to myself when he says, and then I woke up, this has to be the end of the movie. This has to be the end of the movie. Because what they're doing is they're denying satisfaction of an explanation of what that meant. You were supposed to have all the information that you need. Yeah. And they do that a lot. And I think that with Hail Caesar, they give you that kind of ending. Because they subvert that wish fulfillment that utopian musicals give you. They deny the satisfaction to the audience of delivering that line. That When Clooney was supposed to deliver that last line and he can't do it. He forgets (laughs) his line. That's right. It would have been glorious to see him complete that because that's exactly as an audience viewer. I want that completion. I want that satisfaction. But having him screw up is such a Cohen moment. They say to you, fuck you. That's not how life is. Get back to life. We're not going to do that. And it's funny because they foreshadow it in the editing room with Frances McDormand mm-hmm. when Mannix is there with, with her, where her scarf gets caught in the in the reel. Yes. That's because right. we had seen Hobie Doyle try to act where he was with uh, Lawrence Lorenz and there is like, were that it was, were that it was, that beautiful sequence of that. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, this guy, this Western guy, just fucking up and fucking up and fucking up. <laughs> and then when we get into the editing room and we see that, oh, they're showing us that sequence. Did he get it right? But no, he didn't. They had to modify it. And you're like, oh, shit, that's beautiful. The fact that they had to do it. We didn't get the satisfaction of seeing him. We got the satisfaction of seeing him kind of get it, but in a different way. They have uh-huh. had to modify it. So in modifying that, they actually modify the audience's expectations as well, which is really cool. Definitely. And I think that, you know, at the end with Baird Whitlock screwing up that final line just goes to show, you know what? We're going to leave you on that cliffhanger. You know what the word is. But you didn't get the satisfaction as to see it come together as a whole, a whole cohesive thing. Because when they're making movies, 
That's not the way it is. These are a bunch of fuck-ups making movies. It's controlled chaos. We tried to deliver you this make-believe world. Those are exact words that Manics use. They are not yeah. interested in reality. They're interested in make-believe. And that's what we all are when we walk into that movie theater. And I think that the Coens in making Hail Caesar, having those four distinct stories, this is a very, very complicated meta-narrative, a story within a story contemplating another story from a narrator's point of view. You have this idea that none of this makes any sense, mm. but still we're entertained in the end. Definitely, definitely. I, you know, and of course, all right. So so far, I've I've went on to talk about reasons why I didn't like Hail Caesar. I do want to address the fact that, and you've just kind of proven it that uh, the cleverness of the film in itself, it, it it can't be argued. This is a well-crafted, smart film. I and you know what? Even thinking about these things. They do make me laugh in principle. They are just funny ideas. Even the, the fact the guy is called Lawrence Laurence, that makes me laugh, man. I think that's <laughs> fucking hilarious. Yeah. Just, these guys do have a real good sense of humor. And I, that, of course they do. They've made piles of comedies. Some I've really enjoyed. And mostly what I find with their comedies is I enjoy parts, but not the whole, you know? Uh... And that's a lot to do with the cleverness. For example, The Big Lebowski uh, is a film that I somewhat enjoyed. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I thought that some of the part, like basically any scene with the dude in it made me laugh. Thought he was a fucking hilarious character. Yeah. Any time he spent with uh, the Big Lebowski himself or Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, <laughs> um, you know, again, those those guys were fucking hilarious. So I, I just wanted him to spend the entire movie either alone or with those guys, but the moment he hung out with John Goodman and then the overarching story being really about John Goodman's character and how he kind of drags everybody down and how we all have an asshole that sort of ruins everybody's good time in our lives. It just, it was such a drag, man. And it, it took everything from the comedy for me. And so now I remember the film fondly for its moments, but not for the piece and its whole. And Hail Caesar is like that for me in a sort of reversed way. I actually enjoyed almost all the characters in Hail Caesar. I think other than maybe the the crotchety philosopher characters who were pushing a message that I thought was, yes, clever and funny and so on, but I didn't find them interesting as people, so I never really connected with them in any way. But for the most part, all the characters made me laugh uh, at one point or another. I remember them very clearly. Uh, even it now being something like six months since I've seen the film last, you know, um, and the scenes themselves also made me laugh. The, uh, you just said it, the, the scene where he tries with, uh, Ray Fiennes <laughs> trying to get the line right. I, I was completely in stitches that entire, it's like a 15 minute one take scene. I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. It was exactly the kind of thing I was hoping to see. Even some of the lesser comedy moments that are just more spectacle, but are meant to shock you or make you laugh just in the sheer what the fuck is this imagery like Scarlett Johansson as the the mermaid sequence is 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 incredible and you just can't help but laugh because they really did this they really did this shit uh you know incredible the tap dance scene again as well even just the absurdity of the the KGB submarine uh fucking brilliant and as you said the ending clever brilliant made me laugh at the time but when I look at the piece as a whole that's when it falls apart for me and i kind of think of what the intentions were uh when making it what they wanted to say how they went about saying it yes they said what they wanted to say in a clever sense in a fun sense for those on board with cohen's and in a very cohen sense basically uh 
I think that's great. I think that deserves analysis. I, I think we all should appreciate that there are people making films like this, but when it comes to considering what we're actually gaining from this, there's a lot to gain filmmaking-wise, but as far as the narrative is concerned, as far as the actual investment to the characters goes, this was all just sort of a fun trip that doesn't really need to be taken too seriously. I don't know how that lands for me when you compare that to a pretty straightforward character story when it comes to Josh Brolin's character being the heart of the narrative when you compare those two endings and try to mesh them together I don't think they work and I think that that ends up faltering my opinion on the film but again I lots to enjoy here I like the fact that you brought Josh Brolin's character up because to me I love the fact that the end of the movie that last line as for Mannix his life will go on it's kind of interesting because he is our way into the picture although we the audience can't necessarily associate to him. He is the only really normal thing, but he is also the thing that is a little bit, um, okay, supernatural. I'll call it that because I, I, there's no other word that comes to my mind right now. But if you look at all the things that he's trying to take care of in the movie, because he is a fixer, he has a yeah, little bit more, right. he has a little bit less duties than a producer, but he does supervise quite a bit of things. Anyway, the funny thing about it is that he also has a family and his family issues. I, there is only a brief scene with Alison Pill where all of his family issues seem to resolve themselves. His boy was supposed to be an outfielder, but he turns out he likes to be a shortstop. And then his daughter had, a, I don't remember, a singing class or, or a, a, an instrument class. And that played out to be okay as well, which is kind of funny because this is what's supposed to be representing real life. And in real life, problems are there. We usually have problems and we go to movies for escapism. And that's what's funny is that because Brolin is supposed to be representing that reality, we are still watching a movie. And so they, the Coens give you the satisfaction yeah. of this idea of utopia through Brolin's character and how his familial issues resolve themselves. But he chooses not to go work for Lockheed and chooses to keep his job at Capitol Pictures because he likes the make-believe the same as everybody else. So I thought they cleverly handled that character. And I love the fact that you brought him up because I could make that point. He needs to fix everything else Okay, the same way as we sit here talking about movies like we like we're an authority or something like that, we figure we could fix these movies as well. And I think that that's what's clever about Josh Brolin's character is that he's not going to choose reality. He's going to choose the pictures. I I agree, and I think that is a a wonderful sentiment to sort of bring the discussion to a close because you know we're not here to argue to the point where we're going to try and convince each other of each other's point of view so much that we'll try to corrupt what the other thinks and how they think it it's just good to discuss and uh, I you know I'm actually pretty excited to rewatch Hail Caesar now because I do still love that cleverness I yeah, the bitterness will always be there for me but the more I focus on the things I like about it the more I'm bound to enjoy it for what I like to see in it and not for what it ultimately is as a 100% work I I still think if, if people are going to watch this for the first time, go in with a complete blank slate. I, I would imagine that probably being the best way to watch it, just to, just to really let the humor hit you for how fucking weird it is, uh, and then come back with a real critical mind and tear it to shreds, <laughs> uh, and then you'll probably gain something to really love about it. <laughs> yeah, but I gotta, I have to say that you're really putting it the right way, because if there's one thing I agree with you 100% with, is this is not for everyone. This mm. is a movie that was tailor-made for me. I'm a, I've always been a Coen Brothers fan. I, I When I sat down to watch this, I had no expectations. A lot of, I know that most audiences 
hated the movie. They didn't understand what the hell was going on. But I've been following the Collins since Blood Simple. I've seen their short films as well. And I, I love the fact that they followed Inside Lewin Davis up with this. Inside Lewin Davis was, was a really fun, uh, you know, road picture uh, about, about a, a tragic figure that was just slightly ahead of his time. You know, he was brilliantly talented everything was beautiful and Hail Caesar kind of brings in like you said the issues of the Big Lebowski but it seems to tie everything up in a nice neat bow that is but the package isn't wrapped you know what I mean they're kind of giving you a gift in plain sight I agree I can agree with that I couldn't imagine a smarter or better way to tell this very particular story and I think that's a great positive thing to say about Hail Caesar so I mean I know that most people are going to despise this movie I get it I completely understand I I loved it I'm I'm probably going to give it a a 4.5 out of 5 in my final verdict there are some little issues with it I don't want to give it a 5 on 5 because I'd be saying that that's a masterpiece but who's kidding no Country for Old Men is by far their masterpiece. I love that movie so much, but it is also not necessarily quintessential Coens, whereas I think that Hail Caesar is really much more the niche product that they've been kind of building toward. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's great. That's uh, not a score I agree with personally, but in general, I could totally understand how you got there. That makes sense. I mean, I, I reviewed it on Big Picture Reviews. Fuck knows what score I give it. It was probably like a B minus or something. And I, I, I would understand that probably seems a little harsher than it needs to be. If, you know, a B minus on our scale represents like a six. Uh, but, you know, if I look back, at that's how I felt at the time. That's how I still kind of feel. It's not a film I particularly enjoy, but it's a film I appreciate. I think that's the sort of score I would stick with I overall. agree. And you know what the sad thing about it is? Oh, what? I can't recommend this movie yeah that is tough that is how cohen's work though <laughs> yeah and that's the sad fact about the cohen brothers is that this movie was made for me and i sadly can't recommend it to like my my parents if i tell them to watch this they'll be like jason what kind of a stupid movie did you did you ask us to watch <laughs> yeah i know my dad watches quite quite a bit of uh cohen he's watched almost all of them i don't even know you might have already seen hail caesar but i would still feel like it would be one of those ones i say Ugh, too many unlikable characters too much of a negative message ultimately you're not going to have a good time with this move on see something else it'll be something like that and yeah that's how i feel in general recommendations excellent all right so i guess that rounds up pretty much our final thoughts on hail caesar this was a fun discussion i really appreciated the i had a great time i was really looking forward to this one because it was a movie i loved and i knew ahead of time walking into it that you weren't necessarily cold to it but you weren't necessarily warm to it either yeah so yeah this was a blast man yeah i had a great time definitely and you've given me uh, renewed respect for the film again even if it doesn't change my opinion (laughs) what more could you want that's great i I love that and i i I agree (laughs) yeah so i mean uh, i'm looking forward to hearing what the listeners have to say about it so if you guys uh, have any comments that you guys want to leave to us you can find us uh, on twitter i'm at film underscore faculty and i am at big pick reviews Uh, we're going to be putting up the website now it's up and active so please go uh, comment on it we are uploading our uh our podcast to itunes and we're doing it on soundcloud as well so 
if you guys found it, please subscribe, leave comments. You can leave comments on SoundCloud. Yeah, as comment well, so. on the tracks if you guys think that we made uh, good points at specific places or if you agree or disagree. Please feel free to comment on the tracks. That's why I chose SoundCloud. I think it's fun that you guys get to interact with the track itself. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to picking Very up the comments as we go along. Uh, please visit us on our respective websites. I'm at Film Faculty on WordPress. You can find Lee at... That's Big Picture Reviews. Excellent. So that's it. That's the end of the show for now. Take care, people, and see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.